Are you a fan of the Wonder Woman film directed by Patty Jenkins? can share your love for the movie by contributing to a special retrospective episode of the Justice League Universe podcast. The JLU podcast wants to hear about your favorite part of Wonder Woman. It could be a favorite scene, a favorite character, a creative decision that you really appreciated, or any other element of the film that really resonated with you. Think about your favorite part and why it is meaningful to you. Then submit it to jlupodcast at gmail.com by Monday, September 10th. You can send it as written text, which will be read aloud on the episode, or you can send an audio file up to three minutes in length. Let's come together and express our appreciation of this groundbreaking entry in the DC Films canon. Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. My name is Rebecca. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team who enjoy analyzing the DC films from Warner Brothers Studios. Other contributors to this episode are Alessandro and Sydney. You can find us individually on Twitter, and you can also follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this episode, we continue to get very close to the end of Wonder Woman. We're going to be talking about scene 51, which is the uh, celebration in Trafalgar Square. For me, I liked this scene because it is another way to connect to the actual history of World War I. Like, uh, I liked the idea of putting Wonder Woman in the World War I setting right from the start because there's not as many movies about World War I. And I also liked the, uh, the letters WW matching WW just for me. <laughs> like, kind of that simple thing, like, gives me pleasure. But they also did a nice job of making some historical connections, like Ludendorff incorporating him into the movie and things like that. Um, this is another one where they do go to Trafalgar Square, um, which is in London in the Westminster part. And that is the kind of the space in London for these big public gatherings. Like if there were big demonstrations or um, and in the reality after the Great War ended, this is the place where you see lots of photographs of where just everybody wanted to be out in the streets, be together to celebrate the end of the war. Yeah, I really liked looking over this scene, uh, be- being forced to analyze uh, a scene from a film, uh, y- you know, a scene at a time. You, you mm-hmm. take it a little slower and you take it in a little more. At least I do. And mm-hmm. uh, I think the historical aspects of this scene in particular were things that I really gravitated to. There is a man that walks behind Diana who is, I guess, selling. I don't know if he's just giving them away or if he's trying to make money, but he's got some uh, historically accurate copies of the Daily Chronicle. Wow. And uh, the the date of this scene, uh, going by the headline and the picture that were used, this would have taken place on Tuesday, November 12th, 1918. So I thought that mm-hmm. was cool that we got an actual date for this. Oh, yeah, the day after 11-11, right? It was the 11th minute of the 11th hour of November 11th was when the armistice was signed. So then the paper and the celebration would have been the next day. Yeah, that's see, I think that stuff is really cool. I was eating all of that up in the scene. <laughs> yeah, that is the, cool. The Daily Chronicle uh, newspaper clipping was, I think, very historically accurate. But there was another sign that said the Great War ends. And I was trying to see if the Daily Chronicle had also had a headline like that. But from what I could tell, that was actually from the Chicago Daily Tribune. So they might have been playing around a little bit historically with that. But uh, I think it's a it's a great way to you know show 
you know, remind the audience that the war is over or this, this war that they've been fighting and talking about is over and it's ended. Um, so I really liked that a lot. And there's also another historical aspect of this that I discovered that I wasn't quite sure about before watching this scene again for uh, this discussion. But um, the picture of Steve, and I know we'll probably talk about that a little bit later, but mm-hmm. sure. uh, we, we get to see Steve's plane that he is standing in front of. And that is actually, there's a there's a image on the plane it's sort of like an uncle sam hat um it's a it's a hat in the ring there's a ring that goes around it mm-hmm. and that's a very famous image from uh the 94th aero squadron from world war one hmm. and uh the era the 94th aero squadron was an air service in the uh united states army and they fought on the western front during world war one uh, so I thought that that was a really cool way to bring Steve's history into, you know, real history and incorporate um, his what he was doing as a soldier and as someone who was overseas fighting during the war, incorporating real historical uh, facts about the military with his own, you know, character history. I thought that that was really cool. Yeah, and it shows that the filmmakers were thinking about Steve's past you know, because in this movie, we just see him going on this final mission, you know, but right. he's obviously been involved in a lot of things for years before this. And it kind of shows that the filmmakers actually talked about that, uh, what he was doing before and what he would have been involved with and that sort of thing. And that's kind of cool just to know that they were giving that kind of respect and attention to the the backstories and prior events. Yeah, I really enjoy that as someone who likes to learn about history. And I think Wonder Woman did a really good job of pushing me to learn about World War One because like you said, uh, there's not a lot about that in the, I guess, the cultural zeitgeist. There's more about that with World War II, but not as much with World War One. So I've actually learned a lot about history through watching this film. Yeah. Now, the fact that they were pretty close to historical events and kind of reality for this movie, I wonder how that's going to feel when we watch this movie and its sequel, Wonder Woman 1984, if they somehow have time traveling Steve Trevor or back from the dead Steve Trevor or something like that like they're going to have to take a few steps away from the realities of of this now of course they also have Ares flying and doing his godly stuff in this movie but it's kind of like they have to continue to have that balance of reality and connecting to things in our real world but also continuing to play with fantastical things yeah and I I think they do a really fair job of that in this film and in particular with this scene where you have Diana, who is this uh, godlike character who is uh, amongst this crowd of people who are celebrating the war that has ended. And we know everything that she can do, but she's she's uh, keeping it in. And it's almost uh, she's embracing her humanity, I guess, in this moment and what she feels for the people who have won this war and for the sadness that she feels over the loss of Steve Trevor. So I I personally think there's a balance there where you have uh, Diana's powers and and all that she can do, but you're putting her in this situation where it's a very real world kind of setting and and realistic events that would have taken place. So I definitely like that in this scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, Let's go back to the beginning, pick up some of the other just main elements of it. So the scene actually starts with not really showing an establishing shot of Trafalgar Square. You kind of figure out that that's where you are throughout the scene. But they start with a bunch of flags kind of like waving, you know, in front of the camera. Um, So you get the reds and the blues and the whites. And then they go to another shot where you mostly see the flags, um, but you can now tell you're sort of in London. But 
that immediately lets you know this is celebrating the end of the war and this you know patriotism and stuff but it also inserts color right into this scene um, with the blues and the reds. There's a few American flags that are sprinkled in there as part of the Allied forces, but mostly British flags. It really jumps out because we have gone into the the gloomy browns and grays and stuff of the war and of, of what man's world had been up to this point. And then it was nighttime you know, for the final battle and stuff. And so we've talked, and Rebecca, a lot of the episodes that you've been on, we've talked about the contrasts, and part of that oh, yeah, is, yeah. is uh, color contrasts from Themyscira to Man's World. But now we have some color that's returning, some reds and blues that are pretty strong. Yeah, it's the colors and the daytime. You talked about how the, the war was uh, ended at night, and Diana was there during the, the dawn, I guess, when the sun is coming up. And so now the the celebration of the victory is during the daytime. And I also think that there's a, a lot of color in terms of what Diana is wearing. She also is wearing, like the American flags and the uh, Union Jack flags, um, you see a lot of blue and red in what Diana's wearing, and that's that's mixed in with those flags. And th- those are also colors that are associated with Wonder Woman. So mm-hmm. I like that those colors make her stand out in the scene. Yeah, that's good. Um, also, right at the beginning, there's a, a big um, picture going by, and I'm, I don't know my history of World War One that well either, um, but again, trying to learn from the movie, I think that that big picture is probably David George, who was the Prime Minister of uh, Great Britain at the time. So that's my best guess. Um, a lot of people had mustaches like that at the time, but um, <laughs> I think that that's probably um, Prime Minister George. Yeah, that, that goes, and we see this whole crowd of people um, celebrating, but then, like you said, we can. Our eye is drawn to Etta Candy first, but then, you know, Diana, um, she always kind of catches the camera in BVS and in this movie. So we end up kind of going pretty close on her amidst this crowd. Yeah, and um, I know that uh, this scene is mostly about Diana and her grieving over uh, Steve Trevor, but what, what do you what do you think about Etta Candy in in this scene? Um, you know, she does mention earlier on. I think in her introduction scene, she she talks to Steve, saying, "You know, I thought you were dead, and now Steve is dead, and we don't really get a lot from Etta." You know, what are yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's good that they included her um, because otherwise she would have like dropped off the face of the earth after you know um, even before the final battle and stuff like that. So I'm glad that she is here, but when I was watching this movie, even back in theaters, the fact that she's here just actually reminded me that she doesn't really get a lot of closure. Um, she's not a major character, but she was a substantial, you know, secondary character, and she did have setup with Steve. Like she had a a meaningful relationship with Steve that goes back even before the events of this movie. So it does feel like they maybe could have sewn it up a little bit better by giving her. It wouldn't have to be a lot. Just maybe give Etta Candy just like a more emotional reaction where the camera kind of settles on her for a little bit and she maybe reacts to the photo of Steve and then she looks over to Diana with kind of sadness and maybe, you know, a little tear in her eye or something, but also some kind of feminine understanding of like we both knew him and now he's gone and then Etta could look at Diana and then Diana could walk up to the picture. But like they didn't they really didn't give her anything. She she's there in the scene, but the camera never really makes her the center of attention and she doesn't really get to do any kind of acting or emoting let alone dialogue you know 
Yeah, I I understand the choice of making this Diana's moment for mm-hmm. her to to be grieving uh, about the picture and having that connection to the picture uh, because that picture uh, is is something that she you know kind of. Uh, she touches it, and it's sort of like her her last goodbye to Steve, and so I can understand why that is such a big moment for her. But I I agree they maybe could have given Etta a little something, but I also I'm, I'm conflicted on it. I also understand the filmmaking choice of making this solely laser focused on Diana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have just asked for like five seconds or something you know but mm-hmm. but yeah and I, I wouldn't want to take away from diana but i would just think like in addition to diana's yeah. moment uh etta could have a little bit of a little bit of something but yeah um that's one little thing i that's one probably my only critique of the scene i do like the dialogue free nature of it i like that there's not talking here they're not saying things oh steve was a really great guy you know or that was so brave what he did like any sort of dialogue that you could write i think would take away and it's better to just let the music play and let them have their have especially Diana have her response amidst the crowd. And it's also this juxtaposition, right, of like she's representing a lot of people where there's joy over the war being over, but also sadness because not everybody made it out. Not everybody is actually coming back home. So um, I thought that emotion and that complexity was well captured. Yeah, the choice to have this scene take place without any dialogue nobody really says anything you do hear some ambient crowd noise in the back but at at one point when they approach the board with all of the the pictures of everyone who who they've lost that ambient noise the crowd noise goes away and it just becomes just straight up music and it's it's emotion motion driven at that point with the music and i just think that's a really strong choice that they they relied on visuals, they relied on music, and they relied a l- pretty heavily here on Gall's performance. Mm-hmm. And I think that she really pulls it off. She really makes me believe that she is broken up about Steve, that she is glad that there are some people who get reunited. But I I feel for her because I think, you know, she sees, you know, couples kissing and hugging and reuniting. And that probably does mess her up a little bit that she doesn't get to reunite with Steve that he is he is no longer with them uh and so I think that that is something that probably really would eat at her a little bit and so I I appreciate the the choice to not have to worry about dialogue here that that you're just you're making a a, I to me that's a that's a strong filmmaking choice that you Mm -hmm. rely on visuals and music and performance to uh tell this story and tell this uh tell what's going on emotionally in the scene yeah, I totally agree. I think you're right. Going with the visuals and the music um, is the right way to go. And and it's all strong. I think the music is really good here. The themes that uh, Gregson Williams is using, he has set up and used very consistently throughout the movie. So they hit us really hard here because we have connected with those themes at various scenes along the way. Um, and then, yeah, I think um, Gal's acting was, was very strong. Um, there's a shot where the Oddfellows and Diana are starting to look at the wall, you know, with the photos. Um, and maybe they wanted to kind of come in a little bit close because Gal was having a really good acting performance and was really getting into the emotion of it on her face and things. But they still, like, framed that shot and it slices at his face, like, right off. 
Yeah. So I'm just sort of like, oh, man, you couldn't have pulled out just a, a little bit and got Etta in there. And I think you still could have seen Diana. But I think that I think their intention was we really want to make sure we're seeing all of the nuance of Gal's performance here. Yeah, sometimes I do feel like uh, Etta got a little shortchanged to here, but <laughs> but uh, I, I do think that it's it's a good choice if if you had the opportunity to go in on you know close on on Gall or Diana at this moment, that is the right choice. Even if even if maybe you wanted to show Etta candy there, uh, I think the right choice is to focus on Diana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's nice to have all of them together, the Odd Fellows and Etta together and stuff uh, with Diana. So at least they're there, and that I think does the job basically. And it's really interesting to me that the Odd Fellows were initially Steve's friends. This mm-hmm. was Steve's crew. This was mm-hmm. uh, his group of, you know, this ragtag group of people uh, were recruited by Steve. And now that Steve is gone, they've kind of uh, <laughs> they've kind of assumed Diana is their leader. She is now. it's almost like it's her team now it's almost like they have become her friends so I like that in Steve's absence uh, Diana sort of steps into his role a little bit and I I think that's a nice touch because it it shows that Diana progresses to a point where she makes friends and she uh, learns to uh, operate in the world of man to the point where she um, has a group of friends who uh, want to be around her who want to um, be near her when something like emotional or, you know, in, even celebratory is happening. Um, so I like that she's sort of uh, not replacing Steve Trevor, but stepping into the role that he has uh, left unfulfilled. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I'm also thinking, too, uh, ahead to the next scene, um, just because this is a photo of Steve Trevor. And it's kind of historically works because they were these these kinds of boards with, uh, you know, potentially lost people and stuff. But we also are about to go into the next scene, which is also a picture of Steve. So this is like extra heartbreaking when Diana is up there at the wall and she puts her hand on the picture. And like that's all she has, you know, left of Steve besides the watch. And then to realize like, oh, that is maybe like the last time she saw a picture of Steve for 100 years. Um, or 99 years you know so it makes it even more potent when she does get the photo from Bruce Wayne that it's not just oh here's a photo of a man that I had this relationship with in the past as an audience we're seeing her respond to a photo of him and then finally getting reunited with another photo of him so it even you know shows the poignancy there in terms of foreshadowing the next scene yeah and and that would have been the only way that she would be able to reconnect with him visually with a picture you know we take pictures so we have those memories and in, in the uh those moments in a visual way that we can uh see and remember and so that would be really powerful for diana to have that because i i imagine that the amazons didn't have photography on mm-hmm. themiscara i don't think they would have she would be clinging to you know something like that so that she could actually remember him as as a, as a lot of us do when we lose loved ones and, and we see a picture of them it's very emotional and it's very um you know it makes you want to look at that picture so that you can have those memories of those people mm-hmm. so to go into the ending of the scene she steps away and goes back into the crowd and then we get another one of her kind of prayerful moments i think is how you, you've talked about them before these moments where she kind of slows down and looks up toward the sky and then usually closes her eyes. Um, So this one now is, you know, 
definitely in remembrance of Steve. It's not always, you know, at the loss of somebody. Um, it's kind of in just like important moments where she's really kind of taking it all in or decision points. Um, she did it on the cliff at the very beginning um, before seeing Steve and diving to save him. She did it after she thought she had killed Ares, but it um, was Ludendorff. And then, of course, we know in the future she'll do it um, next to the, you know, death of Superman. So this is kind of, you know, this character motif of her looking up towards the sky. Yeah, I think, you know, in my interpretation, I think she's being thankful that the war is over. She's remembering Steve. Um, She's uh, probably relieved that, you know, the other odd fellows are okay. So I I think it's, it's probably a mix of things, but I like that choice that they don't spell it out for us. Sometimes I think movies and, 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 films in this genre have the tendency to tell you everything that a character might be thinking mm-hmm. or feeling. And I like that here in this moment, uh, the the film invites me to figure it, figure that out, you know, put myself in her shoes and imagine what she's thinking and feeling. Um, so I, I like that little touch, you know, it challenge, challenges me as a viewer to put myself in her shoes. Mm-hmm. It's also just a good way to exit the scene because when she's looking up, that gives you an excuse to have, you know, a crane shot from above and then like pull away, which is, of course, a good signal to the audience that like we're wrapping up. We're heading into the dismount for the movie, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I I think it's a a cool way to see that Diana gets a little lost in the crowd when you when you have a crane shot like that. You, you might start on someone's, you know, a, a close-up of someone. And then when you uh, move away from that person, they just kind of become another one of the people in the crowd. And so I think that that uh, might say something maybe uh, symbolically about Diana that she, in the timeline of her character arc, she, after this, supposedly goes away, that she goes away from mankind. And so... Uh, this this might be a visual uh, to to hint at that that she kind of just uh, walks away from mankind. Yeah, and it's she's like metaphorically walking away from mankind, but she literally might be amidst mankind. Yeah, true. You know, but like if if you're just sort of like I'm going to blend in with the crowd, you know, that in one sense is joining the people, but in another sense means I'm not going to be Wonder Woman. I'm not going to be like flying soaring above you. Like, so that's my interpretation in terms of from BVS to this Wonder Woman film. And then what taking, like you said, the the metaphor of this here where we, we last see her kind of getting lost amongst a whole bunch of other people. I take that as, okay, she is in man's world now, but she is not going to be um, asserting herself as a god above them. Or she's not going to be going around and stopping all the conflict everywhere. Because, you know, her lesson is uh, realizing, oh, people have to make their own choice. You know, I I had this Aries issue to deal with because that is something actually, you know, supernatural above mankind themselves. But really the issue is mankind have to make the choices between the good and evil. And I'm not going to rise and be like a lord over them. So for me, it's basically she is amongst mankind and she might do things here and there. But she's not going to make a big public show of herself. She's not going to like put herself up as uh, a public superhero for everybody to see. And so that also matches with Justice League when Bruce Wayne says, hey, you know, where have you been? You haven't been an idol or, you know, an icon for mankind like Superman was being. So my interpretation also fits with that in Justice League. And it fits with the end of this Wonder Woman movie where she does leap out over Paris, where she's kind of saying, like, 
I'm going to go into a new era of my life. I'm going to go into an era where I am going to be more of a public figure. But that doesn't happen until 2017 or, you know, 2016 or 2017 when she gets the photo from Bruce Wayne. And then she decides, okay, it's time for my new era. Because that also happens to be post-BVS. So, like, BVS is part of her changing and then getting the photo back. And now she's into the new era in 2017. Yeah, I like the idea that uh, Diana, at the end of this scene, she comes away with the knowledge of more about what mankind is all about and how mankind operates. She learned a lot about that from Steve Trevor and how there are good and bad aspects of every person. And uh, I think that one of the things I was struck by when I watched this scene uh, to discuss it with you here right now um, is that uh, they intentionally show a, a father with his son. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because I understood I understood maybe why they would show a couple kissing or hugging or whatever. Like, I, I get that because it's a reflection of Diana, Steve, Diana and Steve. And so it got me thinking about this father and son. And mm. I think some I think some of it is... Uh, to show that, you know, families were reunited. There is that aspect of it. But it also made me think about Steve and his father and how um, how Steve's father played very heavily into uh, how Steve operated, how he could either do something or do nothing. Mm-hmm. And in the end, he chose to do something and he sacrificed his life and helped, uh, helped end the war. And uh, so I, I really liked that aspect of it. And I think um, in terms of the idea of what diana sees as mankind now and her understanding of it or her better understanding of mankind it made me think about how even as kids you know we uh we are flawed at even as children you know children can act uh well or they can be bad (laughs) you know they can uh uh make poor choices just as we adults can and so i think that uh mankind you know we're not perfect we have flaws that start even when we're children. And so I think that that's something to, to show with that father and son that we have the capacity to start wars and we have the capacity to end wars. And so I really liked, and I, I sort of meditated on that a little bit just to just to figure out why Patty chose to show that interaction between that father and son. So hmm. uh, I hope, like Diana, maybe I took a little something from, you know, uh, learning about mankind hmm. uh, with that shot. Yeah, that's very nice. I noticed I noticed them, but I uh, didn't give it as much thought, but I think you made some nice connections there. The, the one last thing that I kind of, like, learned from the scene is uh, something that Sydney and I were talking about in the last episode, which is just the question of is Diana famous like do people know what she did at the end of the war and that sort of thing to me this confirms that she's not famous like if they're celebrating the war and they're holding up pictures of the prime minister and stuff they would certainly be like lifting the hero of the final battle up on their shoulders and stuff like that oh yeah so you know there were witnesses at the final battle there were Germans and you know British and stuff that saw Diana and this whatever that Aries thing was um, <laughs> but they must have you know for one reason or another they must not be spreading that story far and wide um, she's able to just kind of go you know there could be lots of reasons why that's the case maybe she talked to them maybe they just kind of decided on their own like I saw something here but it's really not for public consumption it's really kind of a something that you know the world wouldn't accept anyway so I'm not going to try to like describe what I saw because I'll seem like a crazy person <laughs> um, lots of reasons but to me, this confirms that, yeah, what she did, she did it, but it's not going to spread around uh, as news. 
Yeah, that's an interesting point. Would she choose to hide herself or did they just decide, hey, we're we're not going to tell anybody? I, I'm not sure. Um, I, but I do, I would like to think that her uh, secret identity, as it were, uh, meaning she wears her hair up as Diana <laughs> ver- versus her wearing her hair down as Wonder Woman, uh, maybe that's really successful for her. Maybe nobody recognizes her. Maybe they mm. just would recognize the uh the long hair with the crazy amazon costume and the lasso but they wouldn't notice this woman with her hair up in the uh normal looking clothes yeah you're right so it could be that some of the witnesses did try to tell the story like hey i saw this woman who like had a lasso and and destroyed this thing um that we think was a god or something they might have told that story to some people but a lot of the people probably wouldn't believe it and like you're saying they might not have any idea who that woman was. Like some mystery woman did this thing and I don't know where she went. Like they, they might not know that she's standing there. Now the odd fellows obviously know, but they would be good about keeping the secret. Yeah. All right. I think that's our analysis for scene 51. We've only got one more to go. Um, and speaking of finishing up Wonder Woman, we are, are doing a special episode soon where we want to hear from you, uh, your favorite part of Wonder Woman. So um, think three minutes or less, but tell us why your favorite part and why it's meaningful to you. And you can send that as text or an audio file to jlupodcast at gmail.com. Um, please get that in um, within the next couple of days by September 10th. And then we are going to be finishing up our analysis and releasing that special episode. So we're hoping to hear from you. Um, but we also want to thank the Suicide Squadcast for keeping us up to date on the DC-related news. Thanks to uh, the rest of the Suicide Squadcast network as well, um, DC Comics Squadcast, DC TV Squadcast, and the Fans Without Borders. Thanks to Man of Steel Answers for your inspiration and for your analysis. And thanks, of course, to our listeners. <laughs>